0: this week on Twip Weddings. Covergate blows up on a photographer after her clients air their grievances to a local news network. Tips and strategies on how to handle public relation nightmares and dealing with customer complaints and reviews. All this and more on Twip Weddings. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. Uh, Once again, I'm Bruce Clark and we've got the band back together again after a couple of weeks apart. Uh, We've got Mr. Brian Capricci and Mr. Robert Evans. Hey guys, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning hello hello we got the band back together it's been a couple weeks we've done a couple of shows kind of without all three of us being on the panel so nice to get the band back together so what's uh, what's new what's everybody up to
1: Robert what's new in your world I've been hanging out with the roadies and just taking it easy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what have I been up to you know the usual things that we do just you know booking a few weddings and sending out contracts and you know, enjoying the kids, and you know, while it's quiet. I think I mentioned once. Once March hits, you know, the WPPI kicks off one crazy month for me. I think I'm home all of like seven total days in March, so I'm just sort of trying to take it in while uh, while I
2: can. Right on, good stuff, Brian. How about you? What's what's new in your world? Yeah, same thing. It, uh, we're just into the new year, or I guess a month into the new year. And so uh, for us, it's booking season for weddings. And so we're getting lots of inquiries for that and booking lots of couples. Uh, we've pretty much filled up our 2015 now, so we're happy where we're at. I had my first 2017 booking, which was kind of weird to think. Wow. It's like so far in advance. And it's like, what, what will I be doing in two and a half years from now? <laughs> but, so I had that, which was kind of cool. But um, I'm heading down to Portland, Maine, uh, next week for Inspire Photo Retreats. So I've been deep into my planning for that for my workshop because I'm giving a three-hour talk on pricing. So I've got that and then uh, yeah, planning for WPPI because i got a whole bunch of things happening down there. Speaking on the Wednesday morning and Doing a whole bunch of uh, trade show floor stuff. So kind of planning and trying to get my schedule all aligned for all that stuff. Robert, I'm sure you know exactly what that's all about. Trying Always to, enjoy. Trying to align got all that One more thing up. added
1: to my trade show schedule besides Sony. So
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, I like uh, my
1: time to just actually walk around and enjoy. The yeah,
2: that's, I'm looking at my schedule and I'm like, hmm, the trade show's open from this time to this time. And I'm I've got commitments almost for every little time chunk within that time. And so I don't know if I'll have a chance to, but hopefully I will. Did you go to PPA? Uh, I did not. No, no. I was down at Photo Plus Expo back in New York, and I was in New York a few other times. And yeah. with Inspire and WPPI and all that, I kind of said my traveling schedule is pretty packed right now, so... Yeah. I didn't have a chance to make it down to imaging, unfortunately.
1: I used to go too, and we didn't go this year, so I was just curious what it was, yeah.
2: how it was. I actually heard it was amazing. I was talking with a few of uh, the vendors that were down there and set up, and they said it was one of the best years for uh, for imaging, just in terms of crowd, in terms of engagement, in terms of, uh, yeah. of quality of photographers that were there. So apparently, it was, it was of- in the
1: right location. You know, yeah. it's kind of in the middle, and people will come from all over. Last year, it was in Arizona, which is a tough sell.
0: Yeah. What I've never been to Imaging USA, but as a wedding photographer, what's kind of what would be the benefit of going to something like an Image Imaging or a PPA or some of those? Is it there are they more technical shows, or they're more focused on the gear? Uh,
1: I mean, the, as far as the trade show goes, I, I think you know they're very similar. PhotoPlus, PPA, WPPI, um, PPA or Imaging tends to draw, in my opinion, a little bit of an older crowd, where PPA or WPPI, sorry, is a little bit of a younger crowd and more female. I think um, PhotoPlus is a little bit more male dominated, you know. Just that's my opinion from just what I've seen from going. Um, and Brian can probably attest to this, but the PPA members um, very much more of a technical type crowd and, and into technique and technique. Where WPI is a little has gotten a little bit more loose and. I don't know. What would your interpretation of that be, Brian?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I haven't been to Imaging USA personally myself. Um, I'm I'm involved here locally with PPOC, and so PPA is kind of the, you know, the U.S. version of PPOC. It's a much bigger version of it. But yeah, I, I would say it's probably a bit more of like a classic crowd, and, and I, I don't I don't necessarily say uh, older because I think there's a lot of younger photographers there. Right, but right, well, there are. But I'm yeah, yeah. But it's it's more like they they they're in. The PPA association, they do Correct. like the the image judgings and the accreditations and the craftsmen and those kinds of things. So it's sort of that more traditional classic association feel, I I, I think, or from what I've been told. But Correct. I think I think they've been I think they've done a lot of changes. Um, like I think I think imaging and PPA in general, uh, I mean geez, PPA is an, uh, not to get off on a side tangent, but PPA is like an amazing resource. Oh no, I I concur. Means- oh, it's just like i love what they do they've got some amazing things online they've got great workshops that they do they've got great little associations i think regardless of what you do i mean wppi is great because it's that once a year you go there huge shebang you're with 25,000 other photographers but ppa it's kind of like what helps sustain that throughout the year they've got meetings that you almost go to or you can go to every month so you can keep your education sort of going throughout the year
1: like local print competition yeah, in your yeah. local association, and and exactly. I one thing that I'm a PPA member myself, yeah, um, specifically because of some of the benefits that go along with it, and yeah. I want to say roughly, especially to new photographers, listen to this. I think it's roughly two, two to three hundred dollars a year. Yep. I forget what the fee is. But to a new photographer, one of the things that's included in that membership, I think I pay like twenty seven dollars a month It's like it comes off my credit card. So whatever that equates out to be. But um you get fifteen thousand dollars worth of equipment insurance just as part of your membership. So especially mm-hmm. in the beginning, if you're just starting out and, you know, you want to have your stuff insured, that's a really great way. And then as you, you know, acquire more things and you go beyond, yes, you'll have to step up and uh, You know pay a little bit more but it's in the grand scheme of things it's not that much I think I just paid my equipment insurance and I probably roughly have on paper about $65,000 worth of stuff and it's about $1,200 a year so You know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we can do a whole show on that, but it's really (laughs) important to ensure your stuff. So anyway, let's get off this PPA tangent, but I wanna say something (laughs) positive about them since I kind of poo hooed them
2: a little bit. No, no, no. no. I I think that's the reality of it though. And I think I think regardless of where a photographer would want to go, there's there's pros and cons to everything really. There's no I don't think there's any perfect association or perfect educational event. I just think it's, you know, you gotta it's like a gym membership. You just have to go and take advantage of it and do it. Right. It's almost like you get out of it what you put into it really, right? So right yeah,
0: right, on. right. Yeah, awesome. Good stuff
2: Bruce, what have you been up to? Oh, um,
0: yeah, same as you, Brian. A lot of just meeting with clients. I'm still booking a lot for 2015. Um, I, I don't know what it is if it's like this in your guys' area, but for some reason, everybody wants to get married in August this year. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the same in your guys' area, but it's like if we took all our inquiries for the rest of the year and combined them, they would not equal. August inquiries. <laughs> so I don't know. I think people are going to start running out of places to have these weddings, because there's so many, so many venues here. So I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, we're still meeting with couples. We started to book some 2016 weddings, which is nice. And um, yeah, so I was just sort of doing that. And then I've been busy with um, just some commercial shoots. I'm actually going out today to shoot some head headshots for uh, one of our banks. And um, yeah, so I've just been keeping busy with some of that. And awesome. Planning for WPPI. And,
2: Hey Bruce. So, a side note: uh, I interviewed uh, a friend of yours, a a mutual friend, Darlene Hillebrand. Yeah. um, On on my podcast the other day, and uh, and I I got a sneak peek into the course that you guys did. Oh, fabulous! Um, And it is unbelievable. I mean, this doesn't—we don't have to go into too big of a plug party. But if anybody wants to, like, (laughs) learn about lighting on location, lighting off-camera flash, everything from the equipment to the technique to the theory behind it to the application of the theory man for for what you pay for this course and the value and the, the quality of the content it's the best thing I've seen in the market so hey
0: job thanks for that hey, appreciate it thanks yeah it was a lot of fun we uh, a lot of hard work went into it yeah a lot and it took a lot more than we thought to do it but it was a lot of fun so yeah, yeah. Darlene and I live in the same city so yeah it works great and Darlene's the um, she uh, helps run with the digital um, school yeah DPS as well she's the editor for DPS so
2: yeah yeah, so it's good. Yeah, stuff. no, good job. It was awesome. I, awesome. I watched it, it and it was like that's amazing. Well well worth the money spent that anybody if if anybody wants in the off season to uh, to learn more about lighting and on location lighting and that kind of stuff. Great course. I can't recommend it enough. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for the thanks for the plug. No problem. <laughs> All right. Well let's jump into the into the
0: show and we're gonna start out with our, our picks of the week segment. So each week we will share a photography related item that we think would be a benefit for other wedding photographers to check out. So Let's start with Brian. What's your pick this week?
2: Uh, So this I love that this book is actually like it's tattered on the edges and it's got like rips and it's got highlights and stuff on. Oh, I can't my notes. There we go. (laughs) It's got lines and everything. So the book I'm recommending today, uh, it's a classic. It's an oldie but a goodie. I've read this book probably 20 times. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, I actually took the Dale Carnegie course. It was a 12-week course that they offered here locally where we went once a week um, and went there for I think it was like four hours and we like really dove into the topics we talked about how you apply the topics in it and communication principles and how to be a more likable person and just different things like that and I thought it was it was really relevant for the conversation today because we're talking about, relationships and PR and communication and how to deal with people how to deal with problems and the principles that are, are found in Dale, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, will help you in those kinds of communication strategies and how you can be uh, better with customer service, better with customer experience, how you can be more effective in your communication so I love this book, it's like is it like 100 years old or 100 and, it's it's insane, it's, it's it's a super old book, have you guys read this yeah. book? I have not I have not,
0: it's on my list, and I want to, actually I think they have it on Audible, so one yeah. of my plans is to get it on Audible, and then I can just, I can listen to it while I'm editing and
2: do. Totally, like that, so. it's, it's a classic, it's literally been around for like so long, in fact some of the references in it, I'm trying to see if there's a date in the fr- inside of it, some of the references uh, within it are like so old, you know, <laughs> it talks about like Shakespeare and stuff like that, it's like super old, 1936 <laughs> when it was written. So that kind of gives you an idea. But the thing that's really interesting, a lot of people might just dismiss that and say, oh, it's an old book, it's it's old stuff. But the principles are as applicable today as they've ever been, if not more applicable today, especially with social media and the importance of relationships in business today. And so uh, if anyone hasn't read this book, I can't recommend it enough. Again, it's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Cool. Great pick. Mr. Evans, what's your pick this week? Uh, I'm going to pick this week
1: um, some... Lenses. Um, I've been shooting uh, the new Zeiss Loxia lenses. So for all my Sony people, the A7 cameras or the E-mount cameras, these lenses go on and are made for those cameras by Zeiss. You know, one of the things when I switched to Sony that it sounds a little silly, you know, a couple years ago, but I was happy to, is because I started off shooting Hasselblad medium format and, of course, Zeiss lenses. And so when I went back to Sony, I was kind of, or I went to Sony, I was excited (laughs) that Zeiss made lenses for them. So uh, I've been shooting these lenses, and I really, really like them. There's a 35 2.0 and a 55 2.0. Um, they're manual focus lenses, uh, which may discourage some photographers. But I shoot a lot in manual focus, um, and I really, really, really love them. I mean, I, the ways that I think you could use them on the wedding day, especially for your maybe some of your group portraits or your your smaller groups, and of course, uh, you know, some of your bride and groom shots. I prefer to focus uh, manually, and one of the great things in the Sony cameras is they have um, focus peaking, and you can set. Uh it almost looks like when you set the camera uh to see where your highlights blow up, but you set the focus peaking in the camera, you can choose white, red, or yellow. I use red. Um, and you can actually see where the lens is focused by it kind of like highlighting, you know, that area. Um, but I've gotten some really great results and uh, those of you that uh have seen or read, there's a magazine called Sony Alpha magazine, and there's an article in that in this month issue, I believe March, there's a polar bear on the cover. And uh, I did an interview with them and talked about the lenses, and and, uh, so you can find out a little bit more about that.
2: That's cool. Focus peaking has, like, totally changed the way that you can photograph with camera stay, hasn't it, Robert? Like, I know I know. for me with, with Fuji, it's the same thing, and it's like, man, this focus peaking is, like, where where have you been my whole life? Like, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I know?
1: discovered that, like, I mean, one of the many things I love about my Sonys, but that, and I was like, this is amazing, you know, yeah. because I always have sort of liked manual focus, I think maybe because I kind of grew up, you know, again, starting off with Hasselblad, I mean, there were no automatic focus. Um, and to sort of have that Ability that little extra added benefit uh, to you know knowing where your focus is mm-hmm. and just kind of nailing it. especially when you're you know shooting with a wide aperture and you're really gonna focus and put you know you want to focus on that exact thing and you want everything mm-hmm. else to go out or of course photographing people focusing right on the eyes or the highlights in the eyes I mean you know you've got it nailed yeah
0: nice well will you have some of those that gear at uh, WPPI to come. I will. That, will. that be awesome. I have to check some of that out because I've been looking at mirrorless and kind of you know. And Zeiss more. will be at WPPI.
1: Awesome. So, um, they were in Imaging, which I think is the first time they've been at a show for a while, and they're going to be at WPPI. And uh, they'll have actually. I've been giving them some of the images I've been shooting with those lenses, and they'll have some of them in the booth. And I think there's talks, what we alluded to before, of them wanting me to talk in their booth, so. Cool. Uh, what do those lenses just go for roughly? Kind of? They're not bad, they're around $1,000. Yep. Uh, 800 eight $900. Yep. Um, so yeah, for a Zeiss lens, it's, it's actually fairly affordable as well, mm-hmm. um, so that, that kind of makes it nice. Now I know they have their, you know, their Otis line, which is like, you know, very expensive, but they look pretty. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's my pick of the week: the Zeiss Loxia lenses for the Sony A7 series. Cool. Yeah. We'll check them out.
0: Well, my pick this week is a is a website uh, a post that was recently up on Digital Photography School, and it's uh, seven photography podcasts that are worth a listen. And I'm going to add. Onto this list because I think they they missed one very important one.
1: Which one is that,
0: Bruce? Well, well they missed our podcast. Well, sort of. <laughs> this this weekend photo did make the list. It was actually the number the number one uh, podcast on the on the article. So awesome! But they didn't have Brian. They didn't have your podcast on there. The Sprouting so Come they, on, I <laughs> one. But um, there's some really good. So they list seven different um, podcasts. A Couple of them are on the This Weekend Photo Network. So Valerie's um, Street Focus is on there. Of course, Twip made the list, um, and then some friends of the show, Derek Story. Uh, his digital story podcast is on there. Um, there was a fellow, I I hadn't heard this one before, and maybe I don't know if you guys have ever um, listened to his his podcast. Andrew Helmick has mm-hmm. one called the Photo Biz Exposed podcast, yep. and he's an Australian um, uh, photographer who specializes kind of in portraits and weddings. So kind of doing, you know, sort of similar to what we're doing, but, you know, f- from Australia. So I had to listen to a couple of his episodes, and it uh, sounds like a pretty interesting show as well. So,
2: Yeah, I've, I've been on Andrew's is- podcast Three or four times, and I've had him on my podcast, and he's got an amazing show. He's been running it for a couple years, and uh, he well-deserved. He definitely should be on that list. He's got a great show. Yeah, so we'll put
0: a link to all our picks in the show notes, and then you can go uh, go check those out. So I know I like listening to to podcasts and something like having on in the background while I'm editing, working, kind of learning while I'm.
1: I think in all fairness the only reason our podcast didn't make it is because the list came out before we launched our show.
0: That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> It'll be on the next the next list. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So I'll talk to Darlene. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so we're going to jump into our next uh, segment, which is our listener question. And each week we'll choose a listener question to answer on the show. And we do encourage you to send your questions in to us. Um, We do have an email address that's set up uh, dedicated for this. You can email us at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you prefer using social media, uh, just send a a tweet out or something on Google Plus and use the hashtag twipwed. And we'll keep an eye out for those posts. So this week, we've got a question from Lauren Olinger. I hope I pronounced that, ro- that uh, name correctly, Lauren. So uh, I have a small wedding and portrait studio that is growing every day. Well, Congratulations. That's good. Step one. And I'd love to outsource my retouching so that I can spend more time shooting and growing my business. I've tried a couple companies that are endorsed by big names in the wedding business, but I can't seem to get the results I'm looking for. I've had photos returned to me that look like they haven't been touched. Do you have any advice for getting great results from third-party retouchers? Who wants to take this one on first?
2: Brian, you go first. Sure. So I think one of the biggest challenges that photographers need to realize when you're doing something like outsourcing your editing is, you you know, you're not always going to get the same look that you get yourself because you can't replicate your vision and what you see in an image. That being said, I'm a huge advocate for outsourcing editing and for you know getting those kinds of things taken care of. And uh, a company that I recommend and, and personally collaborate with a lot is shoot.edit. And they sort of have this slogan or this thing, as they sort of call it the 90% rule, where they say, when you outsource something to them, shoot.edit, they get the images 90% there you know they do the global adjustments the white balance the the highlights the exposure the contrast the density all those kinds of things that it's kind of like monkey work, right? I mean, any, anyone can look at an image and get the exposure right on it, but then everyone's gonna have their own little stylistic um, additions that they wanna throw on top of that that are gonna be unique and personal to you. And so I think if you subscribe to the 90% rule and say that when you're gonna outsource your editing, um, you know, they're gonna get you 90% of the way there, uh, think of it this way, that's 90% of the work that you don't have to do. So it's already better than doing it all yourself that being said, I also think um, a lot of the times photographers aren't entirely clear on expectations when they're outsourcing something like this. And, and I've heard the same kind of complaint with album design. I've heard the same kind of complaint for like more advanced retouching as opposed to just global adjustments when they say, oh, well, this isn't what I was hoping. And it's like, well, what were you hoping for? Like, did you make it very clear as to what you were looking for? And you know, a lot of the times a photographer would be like, well, I like my images warm. It's like, well, did you make that clear with with the retoucher or with the editor that you like, prefer your images warm? So I think that also depends on how the retouching company or the editing company manages their workflow. Um, I know, just again, as an example, shoot.edit, they have this whole color profile that you go through. It's actually a pretty intensive process where you give them very specific ideas and examples of exactly how you like your images edited. So that way, when they have one of their editors working on your stuff, they have that profile pulled up right beside your images. So they know how to best edit your images for your preferences. Yeah, for and sure. So, I, so think, they, I think that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Robert, how about you? Anything to?
1: I add think on top I about? do also uh, outsource my my weddings um, so that I don't have to do the Lightroom. Of course, I will edit the job myself or call it. I will go through and I'll pick the images that I want to send to that person, and then <clears throat> I send it off. Um, I'm, I don't do a whole lot to my images. I think sometimes people do over process their stuff. Um, I think one thing for people to consider um, when they're doing this uh, a few things like you know, it depends on the you know some of, depends on what it costs to outsource it. Um, you could if you really wanted to if you wanted a little bit more control and you wanted to be there, you know if you think about it if let's say you just picked fifteen dollars an hour and you paid someone fifteen dollars an hour and you taught them Lightroom even if they didn't know it it you know you taught them Lightroom and you know let's say it takes you know five hours to do a job or f- four hours it shouldn't take any more than four hours. so let's say call a thousand I mean edit a thousand images roughly Um, you know you could be saving yourself money as opposed to maybe paying two to four hundred dollars to outsource it so you want to consider that Um, you know because that way you have a little bit more control Um, and then as far as the retouching goes there are plenty of retouchers I get emails practically every day from different people saying you know let me retouch your images, or their fashion retouchers, and they usually have before and after samples on their site. Um, and I just got one from someone recently, and they had, like, different packages. So depending on how many images you gave them, I think his top one was um, $300, and that included. It was $10 an image, so 30 images. Um, now, as far as retouching goes, you know, I don't do a whole lot. To my stuff as well, but I shoot a little fashion bridal fashion type stuff, and that stuff I may want retouched more and and I you know as far as what Photoshop does, I kind of scratch the surface at it. I, you know mm-hmm. I get done what I need, get get done, but that 's beyond my pay grade, and i 'll send something like that off to have somebody that really knows what they're doing and takes pride in in making something look like that. And again, it's communication, like Brian mentioned, just telling them what your expectations are, how you want their images, how you want those images to look. Um, So, I mean, I think it's it's definitely a good practice, especially running small businesses, as long as it's affordable, as much as we can outsource. I think, you know, you find that you'll give yourself just more time and, you know, You'll have time to do the things that you want to do, and you're not behind your computer all the time. So just consider which way you want to go, whether you want to send it to a bigger company or whether you could actually find somebody you know, to pay, to sit in your studio and do it for you. And they just come in, you know, like they don't have to be a full-time person. You want to edit my jobs, show up here mm-hmm. on Mondays after my wedding and, you know... I'll sit here and do all this for you and have it done in a day and you you know, pay them and they're gone and it's probably going to cost you a little bit less that way than it would be with a bigger company but you don't know, you just have to do what works for you. Yeah,
0: I mean we could probably argue the semantics of it but I, I think that there's a difference between retouching Versus, say, like enhancing. Like I, I, see a lot of the stuff that goes on in Lightroom as enhancing the image. So if you're yeah. adjusting highlights and shadows and things like that, it's very different from I think re- when I think retouching. Right. I think you're going in and you're, you know, you're removing blemishes and you're smoothing skin and you're fixing right. eyes and things like that. So I'm not sure if, if Lauren was. Specifically, think like looking at that issue with retouching. Then you are not happy with that
1: was the question. And then if it's specifically retouching, you know, and you're not good at it, send it to somebody who is. You know, like I think as you grow your business, you really have to identify like what you're good at and focus on what you're good at, and mm-hmm. let other people do. You know, so you know someone that's an amazing retoucher, let them do it. don't yep. you know, pay for it. I don't oh, think yeah. you have to retouch everything. You know, there's just a few images generally. I would say. Every single one of my clients asks about retouching. Is it included? Is it, you know, when we're talking about packages, et cetera? And then they never do it. Yes. So, you know, I do the basic if I need to remove a blemish or something simple like that, you know. But anything beyond something too crazy, I send it out.
0: Yeah, sometimes I've I've got some friends that uh, will outsource their editing as well, and they they showed me one example. My friend Michelle showed me an example of a photo that she sent out, and the like the color in this she and she actually sent it to them on purpose just to see what they could do with this photo because it was just like the worst lighting you can imagine. It was like mixture of like red and or, like it was horrible. And she showed me the after photo, and she got it back, and I was like, how did they like how did they do that? Like <laughs> they spent like an hour trying to do to get the same results, and they just they still couldn't get to what the what these professional retouchers we're able to to get it to. So, yeah, I think, again, just, yeah, there's lots of options out there. So you want to evaluate the different options that are out there. But like Brian said, a lot of these good retouchers, the good companies that are doing this have a process that you can go through to really nail down and define what your style is. And then, you know, they can get you closer to that look. But even though the friends of mine that do their outsourcing, we don't outsource currently, but I know friends of mine that do, like Brian said, it's that 90%. And then they end up, you know, going back through and applying a bit of their, you know, selective, you know, adjustments, you know, to give it their style, right? uh, apply their style to the f- kind of the finished look. So. so hopefully that helps Lauren with her question. All right. So that's going to bring us into our our topic for today. So we want to talk today, um, Brian kind of alluded to, it. we're going to talk about dealing kind of with public relations and customer service and, and dealing with, with negative reviews. And so I want to set this story up a little bit. Um, so we were, uh, a few weeks ago, there was a, a story that kind of went viral. It kind of spread around on Facebook and stuff like that. And it was about a, I, I want to dub it Covergate, um, but basically <laughs> the story. So so what happened was there was a a, a couple and they uh, were unhappy to find out that when it came time to, to get their album, that they had to pay an additional $150 to, to choose the cover of their album. And so there was some miscommunication, I think, on both sides. It's a bit of a he he said, she said kind of story, but basically what happened was the couple uh, took their story to the media, to a news outlet. Um, The news outlet ran the story, and it was a little bit of a slanted uh, tale. They conveniently left out some of the photographer's side of the story. And of course, you know, right away, you know, the pitchforks and the torches came out and, you know, the court of public opinion uh, expressed their thoughts on the matter and said, oh, the photographer was, you know, in the wrong and trying to rip this customer off. And then a few days after the fact, the photographer came out with her side of the story and shared it on her website. And we'll link to both of these stories um, in the blog post for this episode. But basically what she said was, you know, it was very clearly explained to the couple that... She didn't include the covers because oftentimes you know, the couples will book them you know, 12, 16 months out. Brian, you were mentioning you've booked some 2017 weddings already. Right? Mm-hmm. So people are booking photographers sometimes a couple of years, a year and a half in advance. And she said sometimes those options change. So the, the choice of the cover was something that the couple would choose after the fact. So it's a bit of a, a he said she said the photographer claims that she told them everything. She tried to actually resolve the situation with them before uh, you know before they went to the news media. And one of her policies is that until they finalize their album, that's the point at which she gives them their high res files. But prior to that, they do get their low-res files. So, of course, the news spun this as, you know, photographer holds uh, customers' images, you know, hostage. You know, it became, you know, sensationalism, uh, sensationalism <laughs> at, its, at its finest on the news, right? So it became a bit of this he-said-she-said said story. But I think it, it's a good um, topic for us to talk about in terms of, you know, dealing with public relations, dealing with these types of, re- you know, reviews. We've got Yelp. We've got Facebook reviews. We've got Google reviews, you know, the... The public can talk about us now. This is something that's very different than you know than say four or five, six years ago, right? The public has that, you know, the tool in their tool belt that they can now, if they're not happy with service, you know, they can go on social media, they can get on you know on platforms with a fairly large audience, you know, and start to really kind of do some damage to your brand or to your business. So we want to talk today kind of about how to deal with sort of those public relations. And it sort of all comes back, I think, to customer service. Um, But I want to get your guys' kind of take and your guys' thoughts on the story. Robert, what did you think when you first sort of saw this story and and read it?
1: So I did my homework, and I read, you know, I watched, I read the article. I watched the news clip, um, how the media spun it. And then I went and I read the girl's blog post. And um, I think the mistake... That could have been prevented ahead of time is just we all do it differently. I have a very similar policy where I say, uh, you know, albums must be completed before I release the high res files to my clients. Um, And they understand that, and it's in my contract. Um, And I think that is the key right there. It's in the contract. What appears to me, um, you know, again, doing it with the information I was given, you know, and I always say there's three sides to every story, your side, my <laughs> side, and the truth. So um, based on what I read, I think this girl, if she had in her contract, because it sounds like it was a verbal, because she keeps saying, I told them there was this $150 charge in the initial consultation or you know early on, which the couple forgot. Um, that just needs to be in her contract because the news actually showed a picture of the contract and said, "Here's all the line items," and that was not there. And if that was there, um, then I think there would never have been a problem because they would, the couple would have had no grounds to stand on. And even you could take it one step further. I have a few of those things in my contract where I actually make them initial that clause. One of them being that I am the sole and only photographer at that wedding. That uh, there can be no other photographers there, including photographers from planners and florists and things like that. I think we've discussed a little bit of that on our show, but I make them initial that so that if that does come up on the day, I can say you know you know we initial that, and you know we talked about it um, I think again, just clear communication we've talked about this on the show before, and I think if she would have done that um then she wouldn't have gotten this problem. As far as dealing with it afterwards, um, you know, I think she did her best to say, look, I'm a good person, I've been in business 10 years, I've shot these weddings, customer service is my thing. Um, but I think at that point, it's a little bit too late and it is unfortunate that we have a world where people can do that because I'm sure many people can relate and know you know I mean I've seen people just make comments on blog posts that I make or Facebook posts or you know people are free to say whatever they want and we can't really do much about it so I guess we do the best to prevent it in the first place so I guess lesson learned here and again for every photographer, new photographers, is just to make sure you have a very clear contract that you clearly communicate with your couples on whatever your policies are for the files and things like that. In my opinion, it does seem a little bit, you know, I see how they twisted it. Like the people's, was like, well, it's a book, right? It should have a cover. It, it did seem a little bit, you know, like they had a good point, you know, and and uh, <laughs> so you know yes I think she might have you know in my opinion too might have used it for personal gain as the woman was a blogger and she wanted to like draw some attention to herself and she got it in it and it happened so this is the bride that's you're talking my, about it's my yeah. three cents awesome Brian
2: what did you think of this What was your take on this story when it kinda hit so so I have a couple thoughts uh, I actually worked on a whole bunch of sort of points here about what I think we can take from this as wedding photographers because I think whenever something like this happens you know if we if we're really objective about it, I mean, it's so easy to start getting into the mudslinging battle and just to start to you know attack things and make our own assumptions. But I think, like what we've done in other episodes, you know when you look at something like this, we can really learn a lot from things like this. First, I would say, uh, and I know, I know that we're actually working on it. And maybe I'll do this as like a public call out, but we're we're gonna be bringing um, a lawyer onto the podcast to have some more you know like lawyery kinds of conversations. and so take take my advice here very much with a grain of salt. But I'm pretty sure, contractually speaking, you don't necessarily have to have package items and products in there. For example, if I photograph a wedding, my contract with them is to reserve me for the date, all the liability things, like delivery, timelines, those kinds of things. But then afterwards, if the client's like, oh, hey, can I order an 8x10 print? I don't send them another contract for that 8x10 print. That's just an order that they're doing. And so I'm not sure about the legalities of how products are tied in with contracts. Um, and so I'll kind of d- divert that and just say I don't know if if the, the package and all the details and every little thing needs to be in the contract. For example... Even if you were totally explicit and you wrote, in the contract, this is a 10 by 10 wedding album with a leather cover uh, with 20 pages in it. Well, what happens when the client then says, oh, I really like those metallic pages? And you're like, oh, that's an upgrade. Could they not then you know, bring the pitchfork to you then and say, well, we didn't know that. That wasn't in the contract. Like, Do you have to make everything explicit in the contract? I don't think so. So I don't know where that stands on a legal basis. And maybe we'll kind of uh, table that for a discussion with a lawyer to kind of get more details on that. But a couple things that I think we can learn from this. Um, Number one, people will talk more about things that make them upset than things that make them happy. It's really unfortunate, but that's just the reality of customer service. Um, I mean, you can make 100 people happy and they won't say boo, and you make one person unhappy and they're going to go and rave all over the Internet about it. So that's just a reality that I think we need to be aware of. Um, we, we almost kind of have to do, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate, it kind of sucks, but, but we have to do more work to keep people from being unhappy than sometimes we do to keep people being happy. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so That's sort of just something to kind of keep in the back of our heads, I think, as we go through everything that we do with our clients. Um, something else to, to really consider is that everyone today, with the media the way it is, with social, with the internet, with, with these, these platforms that we have, everyone has – um, a voice, you know, and, and I really think that we have to consider that. This situation was a little different because this particular client, uh, like Robert talked about, was actually a blogger So and, and she was a publicist, so she had access to getting into the traditional media. But even if I were to upset a client that, you know, just has their own little family on Facebook and their own friends on Facebook yeah. and their own little thing, everyone in a way is their own media outlet, and so they can then go and put something negative about my business on their Facebook page and all of a sudden now I'm negatively viewed by all their family and friends. So I just think that we have to remember that, that everyone does has have the ability to have an opinion on something and to voice it. Um, expectations are everything. And so I think that's ultimately where this whole situation fell apart is obviously the expectations weren't explicit and weren't clear and, and mutually understood because otherwise this situation wouldn't have happened. So, I, I think all that being said, a couple of takeaways that that you know photographers can really uh, apply in their own business is number one, customer service and customer experience is king. And we've talked about this. I remember I forget which episode number it was, Bruce, but it was one of the ones where we talked about the the DJ and having a photographer there at the event, right? And we were saying like, do we want to go and wave a contract in that DJ's face? And you know, like claim policy to say that you know <laughs> that we are right in this situation. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. And I think that that's the same in this situation here, where I don't think that we should be waiving a contract. I think customer experience and customer service is really, really important. And I think that there were probably telltale signs for this photographer if they were really paying attention to it. Um, that this client was upset a lot, a lot earlier on um, before they went to the media and if we were, if were aware of these telltale signs of when someone's upset about something and we can you know be more uh, uh, serving to them as a client and be more open to serving them as a client then I think that we can avoid these kinds of big catastrophes um, I'd also say that the idea policies are important to have as a studio and as a photographer but I don't think they should be used as a loaded gun in the sense that I don't think, just as much as we shouldn't be waving our contracts at our clients, we shouldn't be like, you know, the airline ticket counter lady that says, sorry, sir, that's our policy. I I don't think policies are supposed to be that stringent. They're, They're meant to set expectations, but I think that in every case, customer experience and customer service should trump policy. And so in this case, again, if this photographer was seeing these telltale signs of an upset client, they probably should have maybe bent their policies and given those files before things blew up too much. So I've said a lot. That's, that's a lot. But I think it ultimately comes down to communication. And so if we can properly and effectively communicate, hence my recommendation at the beginning of the episode of Dale Carnegie, you know, you know, we can really learn to understand people, build quality relationships. And when we do that, uh, these kinds of situations can be avoided.
0: Yeah. So what what do you guys think? What's your guys' opinion in terms of like well, some of these review sites, um, you know, like Google lets you, you know, put reviews up, um, Facebook, Yelp, some of these places. Sometimes it's very difficult, you know, and it could be a case where maybe the, the client is just, you know, maybe they're just a little crazy <laughs> and, you know, they just, like you say, they just want to. Event for whatever reason, maybe they have other things going on, you know, in their in their lives. We had, you know, a, a couple many many years ago, and you know, they were happy with their wedding photos. Everything was everything was ducky, and then all of a sudden, like this switch turned, and all of a sudden they weren't happy. And it was like, well, what what happened? What changed? And of course, you know, watching a little bit on Facebook, seeing what happened, the husband lost his job suddenly. There are, you know, I think there was some financial issues so it might have been, their motivation might have been like where you know where can we get a few bucks out of somebody and and so it wasn't necessarily anything to do with our service or what we provided them i think it was just you know something that was a little bit out of our control unfortunately so what are your guys' thoughts you know so no, they didn't go on and do any you know any bad reviews or any posts like that but they could have and it's often uh, very difficult to get those types of reviews taken down or removed. What are your guys's, Robert, what's your thought on, you know, for example, on your Facebook page? Do you allow reviews on there? And how do you kind of handle that if you get something that's a negative re- re- review that might not be a deserving negative review? It might be something that was completely out of your control, but the client, you know, like you said, just those are the ones that are going to, people that are upset are the ones that will complain, not the ones that are happy.
1: Um, honestly, I've never had one. Um Good. <laughs> it doesn't mean that i haven't that i haven't you know had conflict with clients in the past i don't want you to think that um but i think like brian said you know you just try to nip it in the bud right away again i'll go back to my policy like my policy is you don't get your high-res files until your album's done and um i've had people you know come back and go you know so we we'll, you know they they don't they didn't see that in the contract or they didn't read it in the contract and i think that's actually very common um, i think a lot of photographers would probably concur in that you know they have these things in their contract and the clients like well that doesn't apply to me yep. you know and they've read the contract i think we've probably all experienced that oh sure yeah. and um so you know, like I don't want to make them mad, so I'm like, okay, well, here, you know, I kind of do something similar. Whereas I like to get them right away, a select number of images that I choose to give small, low-res files to give them for social media, so they can get those out there and you know start talking about how happy they were. Um, but I've had a few situations where they, you know, they want the high-res files, and I'm like, okay, you know, I just do it because it's not worth, you know, like it's not worth making them mad you know, over mm-hmm. an issue, and, and I think I agree with Brian, like, I have things in my contract, you know, and and rules and, um, you know, policies to run my business, but, you know, who can break them? You, Of course, you can, as yeah. the owner of the business, <laughs> you know, you can adjust them and make it work, because, you know, I want them to be happy, and In the grand scheme of things, you know, like you said, they do have that ability to do that. So, I mean, as far as dealing with it when it happens, I mean, that is such a tough question. I think, you know, um, think about restaurants. They deal with this even worse than we do, you know, Yelp. And, you know, somebody – you know how miserable people are in restaurants. I mean, we've all sat in and seen somebody else
0: in <laughs> yeah. a, oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: a restaurant. And, you know, nowadays people can just go on and say whatever they want to say. And, and just like Brian said, they'll go on and complain, but they won't go on as much as, and, and rave as they will about complaining. So I think, you know, you just have to take it with a grain of salt. I, I don't really know an answer to that other than just – Keep your head up and do your best to not aggravate the client. Um, again, communicate with them as much as possible verbally and contractually prior to the event. Make sure they understand the contract and know, you know what they do and don't get and you know, move forward. But it's a real difficult situation. I don't think there's one right answer. Yeah, it's funny.
0: It's It uh, reminds me of a story that was a, a restaurant that got these really negative, these blasted negative reviews from, I think it was a lot like a lady that worked at a law firm. I think she might have been a lawyer or something like that. You guys may have heard about this story. And, you know, she went on this like tirade on their Yelp page and everything else about, you know, the service and that they didn't, you know, they, they wanted to order takeout. And this restaurant doesn't do takeout (laughs) and like this, they went off on them and said, Oh, your restaurant is horrible. It sucks. You guys don't do delivery. And they're like, well, yeah, we don't do takeout. Like we're a sit down restaurant. So the owner of the restaurant was actually very clever and they took this negative, um, review and they were actually able to spin it into a very positive story. And it actually attracted a lot of attention to their restaurant. And people were actually applauding this restaurant owner for how they kind of stood up for themselves and, and sort of, you know, um, do you they, remember they, they, what they did? To spin it. Sorry. Do
1: you remember what they did to spin it?
0: Um, they basically sort of called the person out, uh, and it became. I'd have to go back and remember the like the details of it. It was a couple of years ago, I think. I don't know, Brian. Did you ever hear this story, or do you it? No, I didn't. It? it was. I think it was a place in New York somewhere. I'd have to go back and see if I could find the story, but. Um, the, sort of the takeaway for me was that they were able to kind of take a negative situation and, and, and sort of turn it into a positive situation. So I want to ask both of you guys, and maybe, Brian, I'll start with you. How would you take something that you know maybe does spin a little bit out of, out of control? Maybe you tried, you know, maybe you didn't see the warning signs and something happened and it got out of control. How do you take something like that, and maybe if they, you know, blasted you with a negative review on a website or something, how do you, how can you, how, what's the best approach to kind of
2: try to spin that and make it into a positive situation? Um, so I, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head um, with with what to do with it. Um, I, I think for for you know decades and decades, for as long as commerce and business have been around, you know we have had customers that complain. It's just a natural part of of doing business, and we all have to deal with it, unfortunately. And I don't think anyone is perfect in that sense. And so it always happens, but the challenge traditionally is that it happens behind closed doors and so you can kind of deal with your customer service issues behind closed doors and today to a certain extent that still happens but a lot of the time now with social media and the voices that our customers have they can air their dirty laundry out on the public forum like on Facebook or on Twitter or on Yelp or whatever it is and I think that's actually a good thing because just like you're saying um, I don't think that it hurts you as much as it gives you the opportunity to prove in a public forum the quality of your customer service and how much you care about your clients and your customers and 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 how much that's more important to you than censoring the information that gets put on your page and so I think number one the worst thing you can do is actually censor it so I would not recommend removing it, deleting it, uh, erasing it, banning them, anything like that. Don't censor it because you're just adding fuel to the fire. If you've got someone that's upset enough to go and do that and then they see that you've gone and deleted it, believe me, they will find a way to get that back on there or they'll be even more irate somewhere else. And maybe somewhere else is where you can't go and contribute to the conversation. So if that's the case, it's a one-sided conversation. By them making it available for you to comment on it, that's a really good thing. They're opening up a two-way conversation. And so I think to actually deal with it, Bruce, it's exactly like what you said. I think we have to put on our customer service hat. We have to be positive. We have to be wanting to help them. We have to not go into defense mode. And believe me, I've been there. It's very hard not to go into defense mode. But as soon as you start to justify and start to you know, do all these defensive tactics, I don't think you're going to get anywhere, and it's just going to end up looking bad, and it's going to feed the trolls a little bit. So yeah. I think that we have to go more offensive and really just try and say, how can I help this customer? How can I make them happy? I think it's probably a good idea to try and bring the conversation away from it being offline because I don't think that – we can effectively deal with uh, conflict and deal with uh, reasonable, you know, conversations via just a text message or you know a, a Facebook post. So if we can say like you know let's deal with this blah blah blah, have a little statement, and then say here's a number, give us a call, and then that way you can deal with it in person, and then hopefully your customer service is good enough that you can actually come to a good resolution. And then what I would say. They say, listen, I don't want to remove your initial post because I think that you had a valid concern and we've obviously dealt with it now in a way that you're happy. Would you mind going back on there and just putting a little comment at the end of it saying, thank you so much, we got this resolved, everything, blah, 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 blah. And keep it up there. And that right there is proof to anyone else that comes to your page uh, and does does more good for you than removing it would um, to show that you really care about customer service. So that's how I would recommend dealing with it.
0: Yeah, so kind of taking the killing them with kindness approach, right? Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Yeah. Robert, what do you, What about you? How would you? What would your advice be in terms of taking the, the negative situation? Opinion, well, I mean, while he was talking, you know, the the statement that came to mind is like, do you want to be right or do you want to be done? Mm. And when something happens like that, you want to be done. You want to mm. just cut that off. Um, like he said, I think taking it offline is a great idea. Call them. Say, look, you know, ask the question. What can I do to make you happy? What will end this? What will I just want to move forward? I, I don't want any bad blood between us. I loved you guys on the wedding day. We had such a great time and this kind of sours, you know, our relationship. What what can I do? You know, and uh and do what they ask and then maybe do a little bit more, you know, yeah. like well, I just, you know, in this girl's case, well we just don't want to pay for that cover. We want our book and you know, whatever. And she might have said, I'll tell you what great i'll give you the cover and how about we're going to add 10 more pictures to your book Mm -hmm. i mean what's that cost you you know 20 bucks 30 bucks maybe i mean who knows but um you know just something to that aspect of it and and she did say in her defense that that she's written them and and you know has tried to resolve it it just sounds like to me that they let too much time or too much Mm -hmm. water under the bridge before that action took place so it's just you know address it right away put an end to it, move on.
0: Yeah, like Brian said, I think it's really easy to get on that. It's easy to internalize it, get very defensive about it because we do. We can tend to take some of these things uh, quite personally, right? I know I, I, I tend to do that. That's something I need to work on, right? Is I tend to take some of those things on a little too personally and you have to kind of separate that personal aspect from it's, you know, it's your, it's your business and they're not necessarily personally attacking you. So you have to kind of remove yourself from that, get off of that defensive kind of negative, because it can, it can zap your energy and it can influence other things. So maybe you're going into a consult that night and you're meeting with another couple who want to book you for a wedding, but you're still kind of all, you know, you're all pissed off because, oh, you got this bad review and that energy can sort of, carry into that conversation with a new with a new couple so you want to be able to to like just drop that and not have that influencing anything that you're doing or anything that you any other decisions that you might make so that was some you know great advice kind of
1: of, compared to like your own daily life like look at it as far as a relationship we all, listening to this podcast, have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a wife, a spouse, a husband, someone that we've had a relationship with. And, you know, we've all been in those situations. And, again, do you want to be right or you just want to get along with that person? And, you know, sometimes it is principle and, you, you know, you kind of stand up for yourself. But ultimately, you know, if we both just kind of apologize and move on, you know, then things get better again and you're back to a happy place.
0: Now, we're not, like, in the public eye, like, say, politicians or, you know, famous, you know, actors and and music people, things like that. What are you guys' thoughts on um, actually having a professional PR agency or somebody that you work with that kind of handles some of those types of things? Do you think that would be something that a a photographer might sort of look into? Just like we have other professionals, like lawyers, and we have, you know, I know some photographers that use professional copywriters to write their content for their blogs. Like, would, would a PR person...
1: Be you know somebody good you know to get to know. I have had a PR person before. They're super expensive, not for that reason, but of course you know to drum up business to mm-hmm. you know put your name out there. Um, I think like unless you have oodles of money, and even then, like I don't think a PR person for a photographer. They're good for helping to promote your business, of course. But I think if something like that happens, you can probably have the best PR person and. It's not going to make a difference since the Internet's, I know it's big, but yet it's small. And like I said, we're not celebrities. Right,
0: yeah. Robert or Brian, you know you've got a lot of resources and access. Do you know of any good, valuable sort of like public relations training or any like a place where a photographer for go if they want to learn more kind of about dealing? I mean, you, your book, uh, your pick, uh, was a great resource. Do you know any other resources that you're aware of that would be good for that type of yeah,
2: thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I I just quickly echo you know what Robert said. I don't think that a publicist really makes sense for photographers in the sense of of being defensive or in fixing problems because I think when it gets to that, it needs to be. I mean, we're small businesses right like brand caprici photography i am the photographer i am the person so i should be dealing with that myself um, so i don't think that that's effective but like like robert i've had a, a, a pr uh, person work with me and i actually had them on a, on a retainer for six months i got more uh, media coverage and appearances on the tv shows on the radio shows on the newspaper in those six months and i've ever gotten in my career and that skyrocketed my sort of public perception, so that was a great move for me, and I would do it again in a heartbeat, and I'd recommend it to any photographer if they have the budget to be able to afford it. Um, but that being said, uh, more back to your original question, Bruce, um, I don't know of any like PR specific uh, sort of you know dispute resolution resources or or things like that, but I would say that really all that it comes down to, like like what does a publicist do for you? What does a PR person do for you? They, they are great with relationships. They are great with dealing with people. They know the right people. They know how to get in with the right people. I think that as small business owners, as photographers, as entrepreneurs, that should be our job and that should be things that we learn how to do in our own businesses and so I think that as much as we uh, love studying you know topics like photography and lighting and posing and composition and all the creative side of what we do and then we also like studying the business side of what we do and the marketing and the branding and the pricing I think that a lot of our energy and attention should go into the personal development side of things and there's a lot that we can be reading and, and learning and growing personally to make ourselves the best version of ourselves possible and when you do that then you can kind of be your own PR person. You can be the best networker that you can ever imagine. You can be the best with relationships. You can figure out how to meet the right people and how to get in with the right people. So in terms of actual resources, how to win friends and influence people, definitely recommend that. A couple other quick books off the top of my head. Um, Tim Sanders has a couple really good books. One's called The Likeability Factor, and the other one is called Love is the Killer App. They're both like maybe 10 years old, but again, they're great resources for personal development. Um, another book that I discovered not too long ago, uh, and I actually had her on my podcast. Her name is Sally Hogshead, and she writes a book called How the World Sees You. Um, that fundamentally changed how I approach business and how I approach relationships and how I present myself uh, as a photographer and as an entrepreneur and a speaker. So. The, you know, those four books combined, I would say that you'll learn more about personal development and how to be the best version of yourself by reading those books than you will by hiring a publicist to take care of something for you. So that's where I would point photographers.
0: Yeah, have you have either of you guys read *The Purple Cow* by yep. Seth
2: Godin? Yep,
0: that'd be another one that kind of comes to mind. Not necessarily PR, but it's how to it's kind of how to make yourself remarkable. Yeah, um, you know, and that can go a long way to again having that that you know good public image. You know, people are building that trust factor with people. For sure. Robert, how about you? Any resources, anything come to mind that uh, Sparfers could look at as far as getting on top of things like public
1: relations? I, I know I have some books to read now. You'll put those in the show notes, Bruce, too.
2: Yeah, we'll have links to all those uh, in the show notes for yeah. these episodes. Bruce, so. if I think of anything else um, to throw at you, because I literally have two bookshelves full of books that I've gone through about you know personal development and that, I'll, I'll send them to you, yeah. and that way you can put them in the link so those that are listening can go and check those out.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. And I would encourage our audience too, if they know of any great resources, or if they've run across any great websites, or books, or you know, any, any podcasts or blogs or anything like that that they, they think would be a valuable resource. By all means, get on the on the episode uh, post for this uh, for this episode and leave your comments and leave your thoughts, because uh, that'll definitely help other photographers. We want to encourage you know you guys to share your info. We don't have all
2: the you know we don't have all the knowledge, so mm-hmm. I definitely want to hear from you guys too. Hey, I, actually, Bruce, let's let's um let's up that ante a little bit and let's sort of say uh, I, I've heard another podcast do this and I think it's a lot of fun and I think that I'd love for our listeners to do this as well um, once you go and and grab one of these books maybe you're doing some some research or you're doing some some learning or growth or maybe you're just out walking and you're you're listening to our voices right now um, take a picture of wherever it is that you are that you're reading this book or you're listening to this podcast or that you're you're growing as a photographer and as a person take a picture of it and tweet at us and show us where it is sort of in the world, where it is in your life, where it is in in your city, that you're actually enjoying and reading and consuming this content. We'd love to see that. So if you tweet at us just right now, like, as I'm talking right now, I'm going to delay this discussion a little bit longer here so I can actually give you time, pull out your phone, Pull over. Open the camera app. Take a picture wherever it is that you are. Maybe you've just found one of these books. Maybe you're ordering it from Amazon as we speak. Take a picture of your checkout page and tweet at us with hashtag twipwed because we'd love to see that.
0: I like that idea. I like if that. You're idea. driving. Pull over. Yes. To yeah. Pull over. Don't do it while you're driving. <laughs> and, and make sure you don't we don't see your credit card information on your Amazon <laughs> <Android>, page. <right? laughs> we, we don't want to see that. That's some good advice. Awesome. Good stuff, guys. Well, I think that brings us to another great episode of Twip Weddings. Once again, uh, be sure to head on over to thisweekinphoto.com and check out the blog post that will accompany this episode. We want to hear from you, so leave your comments, thoughts, questions. Again, you can also get a hold of us uh, by emailing us twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. We're on Instagram. We've got a a photo up on there. It's our logo, but hey, it's a start. Um, So you can follow us on Instagram. uh, I'm going
1: to change that today.
0: Okay, awesome. Okay, Robert's going to post something up there today. So uh Wed is where we are on Instagram, and if you uh, if you take a photo and share something like uh, Brian suggested, we'll uh, we'll repost that and, and mm, get that into our idea. Instagram Instagram feed. So, um, so you can follow us on Instagram. And where else? Where can everybody find you guys, Robert? Where can everybody find you online?
1: Uh, Twitter and Instagram are at Robert Evans. Um, my website robertevans.com. Uh, Google Plus here, of course, is robertevans101, and Facebook is Robert Evans Studios. Where do you where do you find you spend most of your time? What social networks? What's your social network of choice? I think it would have to be between Instagram and Facebook. I mean, yeah, yeah Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, yeah is Twitter. I'm not that excited about anymore, uh, but I I am on there every once in a while. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Instagram because, of course, we're all photographers and visual. Yep. We like to look at photos. Um, and, and those are all my Sony fans. i got to mm-hmm. continue to plug that. I created an Instagram account for Sony Selfie, at Sony Selfie. So I want you to take a picture with your Sony's Selfie. your Zeiss lens Sonys, Tell me which camera it is and what you love about your Sony, and I'll put it on Sony Selfies. You can uh, tag it. At Sony Selfie, and of course I'll see it and get it up there. Or you can put it on your own Instagram and just, of course, tag it. You know, hashtag tag it, and uh, I'll retweet it and get it or re
2: Instagram it and get it up there. Cool. Good stuff. Brian, how are you? Where can we find you online? So on the social networks, I am at bcapphoto. That's b c a p photo. There are two p's. Um, so that would be Instagram or Twitter or YouTube if you're looking for me on Facebook um, it's just Brian Capricci and my sort of resource my hub of where all of my education happens is over at sproutingphotographer.com sproutingphotographer.com and I also have the Sprouting Photographer podcast so if you are a podcast listener which I'm assuming you are because you're listening to this podcast then uh, would love to have you on over uh, on my podcast as well so you can find that at sproutingphotographer.com awesome good stuff and if you're looking for me you can find us
0: over at our website which is momentsindigital.com on all the social networks Twitter and Instagram and Facebook it's, uh, it's at Bruce Clark and uh, same as Google Plus if you're looking for us again we'll have links to all of that in the blog post for this episode so once again we want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of Twip Weddings and that brings us to the end of another great episode Raising the Bar One Wedding at a Time